This is The Talking Dead, a podcast dedicated to the AMC TV show, The Walking Dead. Hello there, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Chris. And my name is Jason. And this is The Talking Dead number 206, recorded Monday, March the 9th, 2015. And we are here, once again, to talk about the latest episode of The Walking Dead, which we will get to in a minute. But as is going to be the pattern for the next little while, I want to first remind everyone about our podcast award nomination. Yay, I gotta go do that. Wait, no, I did it today already. You voted today. Good for you. I have not yet voted today, but I will be as soon as we're done here. Um, A big thank you to everyone that has been voting. I've heard, heard from a lot of people on Facebook and on Twitter and emails and whatnot that, you know, the voting is taking place. So a huge thank you to all of you who are doing that, um, including uh, this person right here. Hi, this is Ellen from California, and I just voted. I sure hope your podcast wins the nomination for entertainment. Good luck, guys. Oh, thanks, Ellen. If you want to be as awesome as Ellen. And I do. I want to be as awesome as Ellen. It'll never happen, but... It, you know, it's a desire. But if, if you want to just take that first step towards being as awesome as Ellen in California, you can go to podcastawards.com, check the Talking Dead in the entertainment category, then submit your name and email at the bottom and send that vote in. You will receive an email to the address you enter, which you have to click on a link to validate your vote. So please don't forget to do that. And that is how you can vote for us once a day uh, for the next... I don't know, at least 10 days. I think voting goes for about 15 days, and we're probably at day five by now. we got to pick up the pace. Do we? Well, Why not? I think we need, we need to, uh, to, to rally the Facebook fans again. Okay, we will do that. I have posted a couple times on there. Oh, I didn't um, know that. No, so well, we're I good have then. been. You, you should post. You should post something. People love it when you post stuff. Do they? I mean, have they replied to the last post? Well, I, I mean, the, when there was a time a couple of years ago when... You posted yourself a picture of yourself in a gas mask. <laughs> yeah, that was last spring. That was cool. Well, whenever that was, you you should find something posted again, and uh, that'll that'll encourage people to vote for sure. So, um, go to podcastawards.com, vote for us. Thank you so much to everyone who's been doing it so far. Everyone's been letting me know, and uh, let's keep her going and see see where we come out in the end because this will be fun. Um, one other thing we have to do is. Uh, Decide when we're going to do the Ask Us Anything podcast, which we promised for getting nominated for this award. Mm-hmm. Yep. And Jason and I have talked about it a little bit, but we haven't made a decision yet. In fact, we've had a heated argument about when to to do this thing. Yep. It, it almost came to blows. So we're going to sort our shit out. And uh, <laughs> it's a and- good thing you live in a different town than me, because uh, you know if we were across the table, uh, there would have been some you know bruises, but possibly some strangling. Yeah. And some eye poking. Yeah, and a lot of slapping. (laughs) A lot of slapping and maybe the occasional wet willy. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Anyways, we got to sort our stuff out and figure out when we're going to do that. I don't really want to wait until the end of the season, but it's hard to fit an extra podcast in when we already do two a week. So we'll figure it out and let everyone know with enough time to send in their questions for us. All right, let's get right into the recap this week. Cool. Uh, this week's episode was called... Poker. 
There you go. That was uh, regular listener and regular title reader Matt in Delaware uh, with a clip from Soon Forget by Pearl Jam. Nice. So it's called Forget. Last week was called Remember. And uh, whatever they remembered last week, they're trying to forget this week. So It's true. Yeah. And, and the funny thing is, right after last week when I said the whole title read thing is becoming a thing and lots of people are sending them in, I think that yep. was the only one we got this week. <laughs> Well, that's because you said it was a thing, and everybody's like, "Whoa, well, I can relax now because everybody else is going to send stuff in, so I don't have to worry about it." Either that, or or they're like, "Oh, I was on board when this wasn't cool, or when it was cool, and now everyone's doing it, so it's not cool anymore." Oh, so it's like the whole Justin Bieber thing all over again. Justin Bieber, he's never I mean, been cool. I mean, Spice Girls. <laughs> that's totally different, and neither they were cool for a little while. Yeah, but there was a big backlash after a while. Well, maybe there's been a backlash on our, our title read thing here. Um, hopefully, I didn't miss anyone's email. We got a crap ton of email in the last couple of days about this episode. I think this one really, I don't know, it really uh, touched a nerve or excited some people. So we got a ton. I've gone through as much of it as I could to get the uh, holy crap emails out for later in this podcast. But I hope I didn't miss anyone's title read. I apologize if I did. Um, send another one in next week, and we'll try to get that one on the air at that time. So let's get into it, shall we? Sure, sure. All right, this episode, Cold Open, starts with Sasha. She's trying to sleep, but she can't. A lot of people seem to have sleeping problems on this show. Well, it's a zombie apocalypse. I'm sure that uh, there's all kinds of PSD being passed around from person to person. Yep, hard to get a good night's sleep when you're, especially, you know, you're on the ground, you're on the floor, whatever. Uh, But Sasha can't sleep, and... She's surrounded by photos of people in the house that she's living in. Now, the thing that struck me here that was sort of weird was that just a couple episodes ago, we were talking about how we saw all those picture frames piled by the door, and we figured they were depersonalizing these these houses so that people would feel at home there, new people. Yep. Now suddenly there's a bunch of photos up in frames, like on shelves and on the walls and stuff like that, so... Well, maybe this is a different house. Like, there was two houses. Maybe the one house was depersonalized, and they haven't gotten around to this yet. Or somebody broke in in the middle of the night or middle of the day while everybody was out and put photos all around the place. Yeah, it seemed a little inconsistent, but maybe maybe it is the second house. The first house didn't have pictures, and the second one did. Yeah. Uh, so Sasha gets up, and uh, she goes to visit Olivia to get some guns because I guess she's going to be going outside the walls. And that's exactly what she does. She takes the photos out into the forest for some picture target practice. Cool. (laughs) She props them all up, um, and she starts slow with each shot. She fires a shot and listens for walkers, hoping they'll come after her, but they don't. And as she starts shooting, she gets a little more and more frenzied as it goes along, eventually shooting down all the photos, and at the end, she sits there and whispers, come and get me, to herself. Yeah. Well, she's got a silenced weapon. If she really wants the walkers to come, she's got to make a little more noise than that. That is true. Um, but I can see, you know, she doesn't want to fire off unsilenced rounds because it would uh, it would probably alert the people in the town, like, oh my God, what's going on? And it would also draw walkers. I mean, she doesn't want to endanger anyone else. She just wants to endanger herself so she can feel alive. It just seems a little inconsistent. You know, <laughs> I, I'm looking around for, I want all these walkers to come, but I'm being very, very quiet while doing it. Yeah, that's true. Um, but maybe she wasn't really thinking quite straight, you know? she She's experiencing oh, no. some sort of 
post-traumatic stress here. Some Thre- kind of disorder that uh, you know it has is after some kind of traumatic stress, <laughs> right? Post. Yes. Um, and throughout this episode, she's been experiencing that. But uh, after "Come and Get Me," we go to the opening credits, and when they're done. We are now with Rick, Carol, and Daryl out by the White Shed. I'm going to call it the White Shed. The White Shed? Is it a shed or is it a house? Uh, it's a shack. Oh, <laughs> so it's right in between. <laughs> That's right, yeah. Okay. Rick, Carol, and Daryl out by the White Shack, and they're talking about how to steal guns from the Alexandria Armory. And Carol says that they can get in a window at night, and uh, that they'll need these guns no matter what happens, whether mm-hmm. Alexandria is a nice place or not. Well, yeah, because you know you always want to have extra guns. I guess so. It's zombie apocalypse. You you need guns. Yeah. Um, they they're talking a little more, and uh, Rick says about the Alexandrians that these are the luckiest bunch of people ever, and uh, now even more so that we've arrived. That's right. Because we're here to save them and protect them, and we need guns to do that. That's right. We need you know? to protect them, you know, and if we have to kill them all in order to protect them, then we will. So be it. Um, Rick also says to not tell the others what their little plan is, and that's because they want everyone else to really try to fit in and not to know that there's something going on. They just want everyone to be safe and happy and friendly there. Right. So a walker comes around the white shack, and Carol takes it out with a whole bunch of shots, the final final one being to the head, and this is because they, I guess they told them that they were going out for some target practice and it would look bad if she came back with all of her bullets. Right. I mean, she could have taken some, you know, fired one shot, killed the zombie, shot him in the head, take the rest of the bullets, and then hide the bullets in the blender so that uh, in case they need more bullets later on, they have a blender full of bullets. Yeah, or put them in her pocket and just snuck them back into Alexandria. Someplace, you know, find them, put them in a hollow of a tree and maybe ho- hopefully squirrels won't take them. But mm. Daryl would shoot all the squirrels anyway, so it doesn't matter. Yeah. Well, she decided to unload into into that one zombie. And um, as they're inspecting the zombie, they notice a W carved on its forehead. Finally. So another W carved into a walker's forehead. We saw a whole bunch of those, if you'll recall, in Noah's settlement where we saw all the torsos. Mm-hmm. Or outside Noah's settlement. Right. They didn't see the Ws, but we did. Uh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. The audience did, but the characters did not. So they don't know that there's been more W's yet. Right. Just like Three's Company. The there's, audience knows something that the actors or the characters don't. There is some kind of misunderstanding happening. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> All right. So we cut into the town. Michonne is there trying on her new police uniform and it looks like it's been modified for her, like cut down the back and, and roped up to fit her a little bit better, which is nice. Yeah. And Rick comes in and he wonders out loud to her that if handing authority to strangers is some kind of play by the Alexandrians, because it is a little strange to have strangers come in and be like, you're our new police. <laughs> That's right. Good luck. Welcome. You're in charge. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but Michonne says that maybe by making them cops, that she feels it'll bring the groups together. Like it gives them responsibility and it'll it'll unite the groups a little bit quicker and uh, they speculate that that's what Deanna wants to do anyway, so. Yeah, that makes sense. We go to Daryl in the woods, and he's walking along, and he detects Aaron following him, although Aaron claims he was just out hunting rabbits. Well, yeah. Who knows if that's really true or not. 
Sorry, is his name Aaron or Elmer? Yeah. Because Elmer Fudd I think hunts it's rabbits. Elmer, it's Aaron Elmer is what, what his middle, it's his middle name. And, and his last name is Fudd though, right? Well, of course. Yeah, I, I assume. <laughs> um, now, Aaron questions Daryl about telling the difference between humans and walkers by sound. And my reaction to that was, well, of course course he can walkers make a lot of noise they growl and they groan and they fall down and you know humans don't make those same sorts of noises so wouldn't most people be able to tell the difference by sound unless you're not used to seeing a lot of walkers you know maybe he's just not used to it maybe uh no aaron is the guy who's been out scouting people looking for new people to bring to alexandria if anyone has seen walkers from of the Alexandrians, it's him. I'm just trying to believe him somehow. Yeah, I'm. I'm not sure how that really makes any sense. Uh, I would think that it's easy to tell the difference unless you encounter a silent walker, which is possible. I mean, maybe they don't all make sounds, but ninja if you're walkers, gonna, <laughs> ninja walker. Yeah, if you're going to err on the side of caution, though, um, you assume walker especially if you can hear it. But if you can't hear it, you figure maybe that it's a living person. Right. So anyways, uh, they talk, and Daryl reluctantly lets Aaron join him in his little excursion in the forest. Hunting rabbits. Hunting rabbits. Uh, We cut over to Rick, Michonne, and Maggie chatting with Deanna. And Deanna says that people will respect and believe in them. So it's, it's almost like a continuation of Michonne and Rick's conversation from a couple scenes ago. Mm-hmm. It's I, I got the feeling that they went there to Diana, Deanna and said, so what's the deal? You know, we just got here and you're, you're making us the police. Why why are you doing this? And she responds with, it'll make people respect and believe in you. And, and that's what we want everyone to do. Yeah. It's a good idea. You yeah. know, and, and that's nice that they would bring that up with, uh, with her. Well, yeah. They're on one hand being honest with her. <laughs> and on the other hand, they're hatching a plot to steal guns. And take over. And take over, yeah. Yeah. They might as well just come out and say that right now. Yeah. We're taking your guns. Uh, we are going to take over if you don't comply with being uh, as nice as you say you're going to be. Yeah. Well, she goes on to talk about forming a bigger police force and a government. She says things like this place will have industry, commerce, and civilization. Mm-hmm. And all three of the people at the table agree that it's not a crazy goal, although... The order that they went in, she she said something like, do you believe that's possible? And they all say yes, or I forget, the question might have been reversed and the answer was no, like the positive answer was no. Anyways, right. it doesn't matter. Um, Is that Matt, something you can't get on board with? Right. No. No. <laughs> <laughs> something like that. Yeah. Uh, but Maggie answers first, and I thought Maggie was, I got the feeling Maggie genuinely believed in what Di- Deanna was saying. I keep wanting to say Diana. It's, well, yeah, it's bothering me. Um, and and then Michonne, who you felt a little bit more reluctance, but still sort of on board. I mean, Michonne has kind of been on board about this place the whole time. And then Rick, who has this hesitation and he answers and you're just thinking like he doesn't believe a word of that. Right. You know, he's just <laughs> there to take over and steal everything. Um, but he immediately suggests that they talk about security instead. And uh, they go outside, and he suggests a constant patrol because people are the real threat. You know, we need we need to watch out for who's coming. And uh, Sasha comes up and says she wants to be the lookout in the clock tower, and everyone can't believe 
Deanna when she says, we don't have any lookouts in the clock tower. Yeah, we just got a gun out there. (laughs) It's right. We put a gun. We figured if people see a weapon, eh, you know, that's enough. That'll scare them away. Right. And that's what you should do with police officers, too. You just put a, you know, get a a mannequin, put a police officer uniform on them. You stick them out on the street. I'm talking about real life, not in the show. Mm -hmm. You stick them out on the street. Uh, with a uh, a mock-up of a radar gun in his hand, people are going to slow down. It's more of a police scarecrow. Exactly. It's a, you know, police scarecrows could work, except that you'd have people, uh, you know, knocking them over and stealing their guns. Well, it would work for a short time until everyone realized, oh, that's a scarecrow. You know, humans tend to be smarter than crows uh, or birds in general. I don't know. Crows are pretty smart. They figure out scarecrows pretty quick too, I think. That's true. I don't know. Well, police scarecrow would work for like a day, yeah. and then everyone would be like, "Oh, that's that's a mannequin with a hat on." Well, they could keep moving them around, right? You can't just leave them in one spot for a week and a half because it's just like, "Well, that's the scarecrow," and then they go steal the scarecrow's gun and take off, and then you're wreaking havoc, and that'd just be bad. I'm pretty sure they wouldn't leave an actual gun with the police scarecrow, though. Oh no, they have to be armed. They're police officers. <laughs> they got to protect themselves. Come yeah. on. <laughs> uh, anyways, so Sasha wants to be in the clock tower. And Deanna says, look, I'll consider giving you the job of clock tower watch. Uh, but you have to come to a welcome party I'm having tonight for all of you. Right. You can have that job, but you got to come to a party. Uh, you know what? If I was offered a good job and they said you got to come to a party first, that's not that's not so bad. I would I would have to think twice. <laughs> Somebody just, you know, asked me to a welcome party in my honor. I'd be like, yeah, I'm not sure. Depends if you just got somewhere. If you just arrived somewhere, it makes total sense. Yeah, it's true. There you go. Um, now we see Carol. Next scene, Carol talking recipes with some of the other women in Alexandria. Mm-hmm. And Rick comes by, so she leaves to talk with Rick. And as they're walking down the street, they decide that tonight, during the party, is when Carol will break in to steal the guns. And she says that she can do it because she's become invisible again. Right. She's She's basically... got the sweater and she's got the, you know, she's talking recipes. Mm-hmm. She's uh, very low key now. Yeah. She's basically described exactly how we've all felt about, you know, what she's doing. I'm blending in. I'm becoming invisible. I'm not a threat. So when everyone's having a nice time at the party, I can sneak away and steal some guns. Right. Social ninja. That's what she is. Yeah. All right, back with Daryl and Aaron in the woods, and they come across a horse in a clearing. And Aaron says that he's been trying to catch Buttons, the name of the horse, mm-hmm. <laughs> for a while, but he hasn't been able to do it. So Daryl sneaks up to rope the horse, and uh, um, he I like a line he had as he was approaching the horse. He says something like, uh, you know, the longer a horse is out there, they become what they really are. Right. You know, this was this horse belonged to somebody, but he's been out on his own for this long and he's turning into a wild animal. And that's why he doesn't want to be caught. And I thought that was a great analogy. And, you know, especially for Daryl, the yeah. longer he's out there, he's turning into what he really is. And that's a bit of a wild man. Now, Daryl's an interesting scenario because is Daryl, is the real Daryl the man we know in the zombie apocalypse, or is the real Daryl sort of the uncomfortable guy who doesn't fit in in Alexandria? Yes. That's not an answer. <laughs> no, I think both things are true. I think he is the the guy that we've come to know, and he is awkward and doesn't fit into 
you know, normality the mm-hmm. way that uh, that Carol, you know, tries to. You know, she's not trying to, but she's she's trying to blend in. Uh, and she obviously feels comfortable blending in, whereas Daryl just, he can't even fake it. No, he cannot fake it, that's for sure. Anyways, I thought it was a good analogy with this horse. And, uh, you know, Daryl, he's the creeper. He knows how to creep up on stuff. Way back in season two, when they were had the prison fight, you know, Daryl was creeping up behind a guy with a knife, and now he's creeping up on this horse. He's he's a bit of a creeper ninja. Yeah, so so was his brother. So was Merle. The first time we saw him, he completely outflanked uh, Andrea and Michonne. That's true. When uh, When they came across the helicopter. Yeah, that's true. That Dixon family, family of creepers. Yep. So anyways, Daryl gets close to the horse and nearly gets a rope on him, but a bunch of walkers show up at the absolute wrong time. <laughs> they have a lot of walkers around here for a a place where they say there's no walkers. That's true. There seems to be a lot. Uh, we've gone lot, a lot longer, you know, uh, in previous locations without seeing a walker. Right. Than, than we have here. So, Anyways. okay, I just, I'm thinking that the uh, the walkers can be, you can assume normal human distribution from wherever you are, right? Like right. If, you, if, you, if there's a, a smattering of people around in today's world, you're going to find a smattering of, of walkers around in the zombie apocalypse. So when you're walking through the woods, and I don't know when the last time you were walking through the woods was, but uh, if you're just walking through a field, how often do you run across five or six people? Well, I see what you're getting at, but but walkers move around and they collect each other and so they people. form groups. Yeah, but we think about things more than than zombies do. Hopefully, some of us, anyways. Right, we pair bond and you know form family units as well, which zombies do not. I assume. Right, but I you're you're right. If I was walking around in the forest somewhere, you don't run into people all that often, um, especially if you're in a more remote area. But right. what I'm saying is, I think that. I don't think that means that you're not going to run into zombies in that same place because those zombies could have come from anywhere and they have no rhyme or reason about where they go other than they're following sound or whatever. So running into like five walkers in the middle of a field like that isn't out of the question. Right. Okay, I see what you mean. So it's not like, you know, t- in today's world, people are going like, you know what, I want to go to the mall. And then they walk out the front door and head straight for the mall, mm-hmm. uh, you know, without regard to any uh, infrastructure. Usually now when you you think, I want to go to the mall, you get in your car and you go to the mall, mm-hmm. right? So yeah, I can see what you're saying. A zombie might leave its house saying, you know, I'm going to go to the mall, but then get distracted by a dog or a person and just turn and go the other way and end up in a clearing somewhere. And by that time four or five other zombies have started following them. And, and so they're random. There's too much of a random element to where they're going to go. I just think there's an awful lot. Like yeah. they're, they're running into an awful lot of random elements. It is. And the the point is, going back to your original point, that is that um, Deanna said everyone was evac- evacuated. There are not that There weren't that many people or zombies left in this area. That's one of the reasons we've managed to s- survive. Or yeah. stay relatively safe because they just weren't around. So, anyhow, they're running into a whole bunch, and uh, Daryl and Aaron have to kill a bunch here, and the horse runs away. So right. they didn't get to catch buttons. We go back to Carol. We see her getting some ingredients from Olivia for a bunch of cookies she's going to make. Now, can you substitute applesauce for eggs? Is that a real thing? I'm going to assume it is. I'm not much of a baker myself, but why right. not? I just. No, I thought maybe you'd know. No. Um, try the internet. 
I hear it knows things like that. Ah, the internet. Who knows? <laughs> Smarter than I am. Uh, two guys, one of them named Tobin, come in to get some weapons. Tobin is a familiar name from the comics. And they chat about Carol being poor with guns. Mm-hmm. She says, yeah, I carried one when we were walking, but, you know, I'm not really a shooter. And, of course, we know that's a huge lie. Yeah. And while they're talking, she manages to deceptively unlock the window. Click. Mm-hmm. Back to Aaron and Daryl in the woods, talking about Daryl riding motorcycles. And uh, Aaron manages to bond with Daryl a little bit here about being an outsider. And uh, he says that him and Eric have heard their fair share of offensive comments about their sexual orientation. And uh, he suggests to Daryl that he, you know, he just let people get to know him by going to the party. Give it a try. Once people get to know you, they, you know, they'll warm up to you and everybody will be more friendly and you'll feel more like a part of this group. Right. All right. Now it's party time. So we see Carol and the Grimes family arriving at the party at Deanna's house, I guess. And uh, she says, she comes over and says that she envies Judith because she will get to see what Alexandria will become. Well, that's nice. It is, I guess so. But it's also kind of a, kind of a you know, you guys are all going to die and not survive to see the, the great place we can make this into. Well, they're, well, they're going to work towards that, but uh, she'll see what it becomes. And she's going to outlast them all because, you know, uh, uh, she feels that this is a safe place and that uh, Judith will have a nice, safe environment to grow up. Yeah. Even though she probably won't ever get to see Star Wars. Yeah, probably not. You'd have to find... <laughs> How can you live? How can that... That's not a life. Uh, yeah, it, you know, it's an, it's an apocalypse and you have to take... You have to make sacrifices here and there, but I mean, with no Star Wars, come on. No, that's not a life I would want to live. Um, what happens next? So Abe and Rosita arrive at this point. He's kind of skeptical, skeptical about the whole situation, but decides he wants a beer. Yep, because that's a good idea. Well, yeah, beer is uh, the great equalizer, right? Everyone can drink beer and all be on the same level socially, mentally, and. Uh, you know, um, full of wit. Alcoholically. <laughs> there you go. Uh, now, Deanna introduces Rick to her husband, Reg. Finally. Yeah, finally. I mean, we've been here a week, and here he is. And Reg is impressed by what everybody said about Rick in the interviews that he watched. And he says that building the wall was nothing compared to keeping 14 people safe. There's our number. Yeah, 14 people. I mean, 14 we people. We could have just counted them, but... I guess that's the number they have right now. And uh, he offers Rick a drink, who Rick initially refuses, but then he takes it. And um, Rick notices Jesse's family arriving, husband and two kids with her. Right. Yeah. And there's a Rick. Rick had a line here with when he was refusing the drink. He originally said, "I'm good," and then Rick said, "You don't have to be," and that's when he accepted the drink. Right. And I just thought that was sort of interesting phrasing. Rick saying, I'm good, when, eh, you know, that's that's debatable. Which I, I, No, I said that. Oh, you just mean, because uh, I've, I've actually used that term for, do you want a drink? No, I'm good. No, I understand. It, it is a thing people say. That's not what I mean. I'm just saying, in this context, I'm reading into it. <laughs> oh, I see. Right? Right. He, he offers him a drink. Rick goes, I'm good. And then, Reg, you don't have to be. And Rick is like, yeah, I know I don't have to be. And frankly, I'm probably not that good. Yeah, because we're going to take over and steal all your guns. Right. 
I just thought it was clever writing is what I'm trying to say. I think they did a good job in this scene. Right. Um, so then we go over to Daryl and Aaron. They follow Buttons. They still managed to follow the horse. Uh, and they follow Buttons to a clearing with a bunch more walkers. They go to kill them, but Aaron trips over one and almost gets bitten, but Daryl rescues him, which is nice of Daryl. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, it's too late for the horse. He is surrounded by a bunch of walkers, seven or eight probably, and taken down, and they start to tear into him. I would have started shooting at the at the walkers as they started grabbing at the horse. Because what's the worst that could happen? You shoot the horse? I mean, the horse is going to die anyway, so you know they had uh, at least probably four seconds before uh, you know, they took a bite of the horse. So you could have got like four or five shots off. You know, I would have, uh, I would have started shooting. The thing is you probably would hit the horse though, which I mean, I won't necessarily kill the horse. What's the the downside of that? The horse is going to die anyway if you don't do anything. No, you're right. So take a shot literally and figuratively. Yeah, you're right. I mean, what best case scenario, you kill the zombies and manage to save the horse. Or you shoot the horse in the head and save it all the all the the horror of being eaten alive by the living dead. But do you? I mean, we've kind of you know this. We almost went through this scenario in way back in the pilot in season one. Rick, you know, the horse gets taken down, and Rick uses that opportunity to escape from the tank way back then, right? Because the zombies are busy eating the horse. Yeah. So. Do you let the horse, you know, get eaten to distract the zombies and therefore save yourself? No, there's not enough zombies to make it worrisome. Yeah, and that's actually not what happens in this case anyways. We go to a commercial, and when we come back, we see that um, Aaron and Daryl have killed all the walkers that are eating the horse. But sadly, Buttons is still alive, so Daryl lets Aaron put him down. And what I did like about this scene is that... Aaron didn't really hesitate. He walked up, he looked at him, raised his gun and shot that horse without, you know, without worrying about it too much or, you know, worrying's not the right word, but without hesitating and thinking about it. And I thought that was a good indication that Aaron is a pretty strong character. He may be the one Alexandrian who understands that you got to do stuff like this sometimes to survive. That's true. Yeah, he he uh knew what had to be done and did it without hesitation. Yeah, and that's key, and that's key. That's that's like one of the main themes of this show that we've been learning for five years now, and uh, Aaron reinforced that again. Right, and now they got a whole bunch of horse meat they can bring back to uh, to camp. That there you go. They can I, make jerky, or what? Uh, what did she want? What did what's her name want to make out of the uh, the boar leg? Oh, Olivia. Yeah, she asked Carol for a boar leg, I think, to make. Um, to cure it, to cure meat. Some kind of cured meat. So, yeah, they could make uh, cured horse meat. Horse sausages, I've heard, are really good. Horse sausages. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure. Jello. There out you go. The, uh, yeah, out of horse's hooves. Mm-hmm. I think that's where they make gelatin out of. I don't know. Maybe. I like <laughs> jello. <laughs> uh, good. We go back to the party, and Glenn and Maggie arrive, and they're talking with Noah about having to be there. He wants to leave, but Glenn says, no way, you're not bailing on this. We're in this together. And Maggie calls them all family. Yeah, we're family. You can't leave. That's right. We're stuck in this together, you jerk. That's right. (laughs) And yeah, you can't choose your family and you can't get away from them at parties. No, that's right. (laughs) Except in this case, they're not actually family and he probably could have left if he wanted to. Uh, And now Daryl's back. He is standing outside watching the house from the outside. A little weird. 
He decides not to go in. He leaves. And uh, as he's walking past Aaron's house, Aaron comes out and invites him in for some spaghetti. So what was he doing? Was he watching? Like, if it's dinner time, when it's dinner time at your house, do you, uh, you know, when they're about to put dinner on the table, do you go stand on your front porch and see who's walking by? Here's what I'll tell you. Here's, I'll tell you exactly what happened. Okay. They were out together, Aaron and Daryl, right? Yeah. Yep. They, they, they came back to the town together. They went into the town, and we know that Daryl or Aaron had been telling Daryl, you should go to the party and meet people and, and warm up to them. So just before they parted ways, maybe right in front of Aaron's house, he said, go check out the party. And Daryl goes. Aaron knows that he's not going to come back, probably or not going to go in probably, so he knows he's going to be walking back. So he's probably got one eye out the window looking for him and then decides to go back outside and invite him in. Right. And okay. he, he had a line, I think, about um, Daryl says, you know, I didn't want to go in or something. And, and Aaron says, that's okay. At least you tried. That's all I said. Just try to go. Yeah. And so he kind of knew he was going to come back and it was uh, no big deal. So he was watching for him. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Back at the party, Carol, she notices Olivia arrive. So the guns must be unguarded. And that's her cue to go steal them. Uh, but we see Jesse introduce her husband, Pete, to Rick. And Pete's really friendly now. He seems really nice. I guess he's a mean drunk on the porch at night. He was smoking. We don't know he was drunk. Oh, he's a mean smoker then. I guess so. Maybe he's only mean after dark. No, it's after oh. dark. It's after dark at the party oh, too. Oh, it is after dark. Maybe it was a full moon. Maybe he's a uh, a werewolf or a were asshole. You know, and <laughs> during the full moon, he turns into an asshole. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna go with were asshole. Okay. <laughs> um, so he's really friendly at this point, and he offers to take a look at Rick, and then after mentions that he's a doctor. Oh, by the way, I'm a doctor. Yeah, yeah. I don't want you to just come over and, you know, take. I'll take a look at you. Um, <laughs> yeah, come on over anytime. Take your clothes off. Yeah, We'll yeah. have a look at you. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and what I thought was funny about this scene is, you know, Rick and Pete clearly think that was a an odd, uncomfortable thing to say, sort of without re- revealing that he's a doctor. And uh, Jesse says this weird line about, you know, I think it sounded nice either way. I'm like she's got a thing really like what sounded nice that your husband was like creeping out your new boyfriend or uh you know i don't get it there she's she's a weird one jesse I swingers think. they're swingers they're obviously where's the bowl with the keys in it Everyone oh this in. is a key party <laughs> now except they don't need keys what is it a gun party you throw put all your guns in a bin and then you pick out a gun and you go home with the owner of that gun well if man any, or if, woman if anyone was carrying guns then maybe i mean you know, you don't need key. I mean, you might need, still need house keys, so. <laughs> well, I don't know. Maybe, well, there's kids here, so it probably won't break into that kind of party with the kids around. But once the kids are in bed, boy, howdy. It's a gun party, baby. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, I just thought it was weird that Jesse was like, no, I think it. Uh, I think it's fine either way. I think if you two kissed, that'd be all right. I think that's what she was saying. Uh, Pete goes for some drinks. Now, here's another thing. Pete now goes to get some drinks. Jesse offers to do it, but Pete gives her a really curt, I'm on it. It's right. like he wanted to get out of there. Maybe maybe he's thinking, you know, I just embarrassed myself. My wife has clearly got a thing going on here. I just want to get out of this situation. Maybe he is hot for Rick, and uh, his his wife is covering for him. 
Maybe. I, I think he's got a thing for the for the new sheriff in town. Well, you know, if you're gonna if you're gonna be hot for somebody, it should be the new sheriff in town. Yeah, he shaved off that beard, had a shower. Yep. He got all cleaned up, put on a uniform. Yep. Well So he felt awkward and was like, yeah, you know, and it's like talking to a pretty girl. When you like when I talk to a pretty girl, I stumble over my friggin' words. I don't know how to speak properly. I, I just want to get the hell out of there and get a drink. So what is Maybe it that's what is it about the way you speak on this show then? <laughs> you're not a pretty girl, A. No. You're not here, B. <laughs> and I'm not wearing a low cut top. Uh yeah, you're wearing a talking dead uh the talking dead t shirt. I actually am nice. wearing podcast t shirt while we record the very podcast with the name on the shirt. I'm wearing a shirt of blue. Yes. All right. Let's move on from this awkward scene. Uh, Rick says he's having fun, and Jesse points out how ordinary life is there. And uh, she says, maybe not like before, but it's pretty good. And she, she mentions how a lot of things disappeared after the zombie outbreak, but a lot of it was bullshit anyway. Yeah. You know, we got rid of all the, like, social BS, and now we can just go back to being people. I like Star Wars episodes one, two, and three. All that kind of bullshit just goes away. <laughs> That's right. You never have to men- mention it again. That's right. Um, she says, we lost a lot of things, but we gained something too. You know, a family like this. Yeah. Rick looks around and he sees Carl seems to have bonded with the other teenagers, which just reinforces what Jesse was saying. And then uh, at that point, Jesse's son, Sam, runs up and says, there's no more cookies. Damn it. Damn it. So Rick suggests he knows the lady who makes the cookies. And then Sam offers Rick a stamp. And he gives him a stamp on the back of his hand. And it's a big red A. Well, isn't that a coincidence? A big red creepy A, considering they were locked in train car A in Terminus. Mm -hmm. Not, you know, not a month ago, barely. Yeah. So that's creepy and may or may oh. not mean anything. Well, it probably doesn't, but it's just kind of a weird uh, a weird thing to happen. Here's the thing. Kids like stamps. They like stickers. They like stamps. You know, if if they have stickers or stamps, they're, they want to give them to you. My kids, you know, they want to give me a sticker all the time, put it on my hand or my shirt or whatever, and stamps yep. are the same thing. So Sam is running around stamping people. Yeah, and a lot of people had A's on their hands. Did you notice? Uh, I, di- I noticed Pete's. And obviously Rick's, but I didn't notice anyone else at the party. Did they have more A's? I, th- I thought I saw some more A's. All right. They, well, weren't, uh, they weren't alone in their, in their A stamps. I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, like I said, kids love to do that. So he's probably going around one by one saying, you need a stamp. Stamp. Yep. All right. After a commercial break, Sasha arrives and Spencer answers the door. Spencer is um, uh, Deanna's son. Right. One of her sons, I guess. And she talk, he talks about how much Mrs. Niedermeyer really wants a pasta maker. Well, that makes perfect sense. Of course, yeah. In, in, and by that, you mean none whatsoever. <laughs> well, I mean, some people like to make their own pasta. Oh, that makes so. sense. Fine. But I thought this whole conversation was out of left field. Like, they introduced, each, they, they introduced themselves to each other, so they'd never met. And the first thing he does is say, Mrs. Niedermeyer really wants a pasta maker. Oh, that's code word because this is a key party, uh, and that, that's code for uh, "Come on in, we're all about to get started." I guess 
had I realized this was a key party at the time, yeah. I would have picked up on the code, but I didn't until just now. If you start talking about Mrs. Niedemeyer's pasta maker, or then, uh, you're in. It, her desire for a pasta maker. Oh, it makes it even more tawdry. And speaking of pasta, we cut over to Daryl, and he is sucking back some pasta at Aaron and Eric's house. They're just sort of sitting there watching. Spaghetti night. Yeah, that's right. And uh, Eric starts talking about Mr. Meter, Mrs. Niedermeyer's pasta maker request. So weird cut from one scene to another where... They really the- wanted to make us aware of that need for a pasta maker. So we're going to... F- that pasta maker is going to show up again. Like, it's got to pay off, right? They've mentioned it twice. Well, they have to find one out, out there somewhere now. Why bring it up so much? Well, maybe these two guys want to have a threesome with Daryl. It's the code word. Hmm. Time for a pasta maker. Time for Mrs. Nita Meyer's desire for a pasta maker. <laughs> okay. You may be on to something. They're just watching Daryl eat this pasta because he is just, he's just murdering that plate of spaghetti. And Eric... Uh, stops and wonders if Aaron asked him already. And we're all thinking, asked him what? So Aaron takes him into the garage and shows him a bunch of motorcycle parts. Mm-hmm. And Aaron says, Daryl, you're going to need a bike. And, you know, you probably know how to fix this one up because he wants Daryl to be Alexandria's new recruiter. Right. His new, new other recruiter. His new partner, basically. Yeah. 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 Uh, because Eric's got a bad foot and so on, doesn't want to be put in but doesn't want him to be put in danger. And Aaron says that Daryl is good out there, and that's why he wants him to have the job, and he and it's because he knows the difference between a good and a bad person. Does he? Well, I think he does. He does. I mean, he aligned himself. Well, it all. I guess it depends on whether you think Rick is a good or a bad person. <laughs> Daryl aligned himself with Rick. He did. Um, and Daryl agrees to take the job and seems to be a little bit uh, a little bit happy about it. Well, yeah, now he's got a you know a reason to 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 live really. He's got this motorcycle that he needs to build. Mm-hmm. He's got a he's got a good start. We never really see what's underneath the uh, the tarp there, but uh, you know there's probably a half built motorcycle under there. Uh, you know, with a with an SS symbol on it and big wings, just mm-hmm. perfect for Daryl. And uh, if not, he'll he'll paint those on. Yeah, I'll paint them on. You'll get uh, big uh, ape hangers. Yeah. I think I'm using that term correctly. I don't know. That's those big handlebars where you're, you're hanging on and they're way above you and it's like you're an ape hanging on to handlebars. Oh, I didn't I, know that was a thing. I, I, think they're, I think they're called ape hangers. All right. I'm not quite sure. I'm sure somebody will correct you if if uh, they are not. Um, So, yeah. So good that Daryl has a job finally. I think he's the kind of guy that really just needs something to do, you know? Yeah. Fix a motorcycle, go on runs, recruit people. Everything. Hunt squirrels. Hunt squirrels. You know. Carry possums around, dead possums. Yeah, exactly. He just needs something to do, something to occupy his time. Yeah. So Michonne now, she's outside at the party, and she's examining a cocktail sword, <laughs> which yeah. I thought was fun. Abraham comes out, and he talks about not having to use the sword again, but that'll always be with her, Right. And she turns and accuses him of being drunk, and they have a good laugh about him being a large man and needing lots of beers. Well, yeah. Because, you know, he does. And Abraham says he's decided that things have worked out, you know, despite everything, things have worked out sort of okay for him. You know, I guess he feels like he's with Rosita. 
They're in a safe place. He's met people he likes. He's got a good relationship. He's got a yeah. sex watcher that can watch him and his girlfriend have sex. Uh, what more do you need? Boy, good thing. Did we see uh, Eugene no. at this party? We did not. I, I don't think he was in this episode at all. No. Um, uh, Gabriel either, actually. He's been no. very scarce the last couple of episodes. Yeah, we've had a missing... You know, they're doing other stuff. I guess so. They're watching Star Wars somewhere. They got they found power for a TV set, and they found a DVD of Star Wars. In there. Or maybe, oh, they, they found an old VHS of Star Wars, the original cut where Han Solo shot first. Mm-hmm. That'd be quite the find. It would. I'd watch that for sure. Yeah. Um, we go to Carol. She pops through the window into the gun room, so her plan is taking shape. She Now, earlier on when she was there meeting Olivia... She needed chocolate for the cookies. And yep. the first thing she grabs here is more chocolate. She stole chocolate. You know, I'm all okay with stealing the guns, but she's now stealing food out of the people's mouths. But is she doing this to make more cookies for the party? Or just more uh, cookies in general? You think she's all very altruistic? Maybe. No, I don't think so. I think she would go back and get more, like sign out more chocolate for more cookies. But uh, no, I think she's stealing it for herself. Hmm, well, that's not so good. You can't steal food. I mean, come on. You, you well, it need... depends on what kind of chocolate it is, too, right? If it's baker's chocolate, then, yeah, she's stealing it for the cookies because that stuff's gross. Mm-hmm. But if it's like, uh, you know, milk chocolate, then it's loaded with sugar, and it's quite delicious. Oh, delicious, yeah. I don't know. It's. I just thought it was strange that she was stealing that chocolate. Um, but I'm, I'm going to think she's actually going to make more cookies. You know, maybe we off screen, we didn't see. No, because she was already gone, I think, by that point. I was going to say maybe Rick told her that Sam wants more cookies, but I think she was already gone, so I don't know yep. what she was doing. Uh, anyways, she grabs the chocolate, then she starts filling a bag with guns. And speaking of Sam, suddenly he's there. He followed her, hoping for more cookies. Yeah. So Carol wants him to keep this a secret, of course, and uh, she gives him a long, disturbing story about Sam waking up out in the forest, tied to a tree, while walkers come and tear him apart, all while he's still alive, and no one will ever find him. Yeah. So doesn't he know what she does to little kids? Well, clearly not. Or now he does, because she's She's learning. (laughs) She scares the shit out of this poor boy just to keep the secret. And she says it's either this or keep the secret and get cookies. That's so, life-altering trauma for a little kid, what she did to that poor kid. It's terrible. I know. It's it's either die horribly alone or eat cookies. I think I know what you should choose. Yeah, I think so. Um, pretty, pretty brutal on Carol's part. Yeah. We go back to the party, and Rick has finished his drink, and uh, Jesse comes up holding Judith. And she looks very comfortable with the baby, I thought. Oh, yeah. I mean, I guess she's had well, her she's own. she's had two kids. Yeah, she's had her own kids, so she knows she what she's knows doing. She knows how to not drop a baby. Most people do, but some people look uncomfortable with babies. I've seen people hold kids and be like, I don't have no idea what I'm doing, but not Jesse. She knows what she's doing. And Rick says that he's still here, you know, and he means here by in this world because of Judith and Carl. Yep. And he admits to her that here actually isn't that bad, which is interesting for him. Well, it's nice here. Yeah, it's it's nice to be here with my family, and it's nice to be here in Alexandria with people that I'm starting to like. If only my wife hadn't died and gotten eaten by a zombie and my son had to shoot her in the head, everything would be great. 
other than that, oh, and her boyfriend too. If he was still here, that'd be all right. <laughs> right. Uh, he takes now. He takes Judith from her, and as they lean together to transfer the baby, he kisses her quickly on the cheek. Yeah. And they sort of stare awkwardly at each other for a moment, but then she smiles and walks away. Yep, this is this totally the thing that's going to happen next episode. Tell me about it. What's the this thing? love triangle is going to play out, and Pete's going to get all upset, and he's going to have surgical tools, and uh, Rick's going to bash his friggin' face in because Rick is good at bashing people's faces in. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, this this whole love triangle is going to play out next episode. I'm sure of it. You think so? One more episode, and that's that's when we're gonna you know shit hit the fan here. Yeah, yeah. No, next episode for sure. All right. What else are they going to do? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, we need some internal drama before we have external drama. So I think this is what's going to happen. Well, they're definitely setting it up with this this trio here, like yeah. big time. Um, I don't know. You know, the, the whole kiss thing here, I wasn't sure if Rick was going in for more and he just kind of got the cheek or... Or if that's what he was trying to do, or if it was a totally innocent, like, thank you for watching the baby kiss on the cheek. I don't know. Uh, well, it's hard to say, but uh, maybe it was an innocent. You don't kiss somebody, another man's wife, on the cheek for handing you your baby. No, that's true. That would be weird. Yeah. I know, P- I, you know, I have friends that I know very, very well and feel quite comfortable with. I don't think I would even do that with them. Probably not. Right? I mean, you, you kiss someone on the cheek maybe if you haven't seen them in a long time. And you're welcoming them back. Right. And you go each side, right? That's a European thing. That, yeah, it's a very European thing. But when somebody's handing you, you the, your baby, as they lean away, you don't grab their boob. <laughs> right? Well, if he'd done that. <laughs> you know, it's a little more overt than this, but uh, that, that's pretty overt. That was pretty, that was a, that was a very... Uh, you know, clear signal that uh, that he's into her, and his husband, her husband, is uh, now in the way. Well, I'm with you. I think maybe next episode is the one where this whole thing plays out, and we see what happens, and somebody gets hurt. Yeah. All right. Um, we see De- Deanna, and she approaches Sasha, to who's just standing there by herself, and Deanna invites her to join a group of people who are chatting. And they're talking about a book club. Sasha gives it a try. She comes over. You know, maybe she'll just listen, Deanna says. And Sasha suddenly becomes hyper aware of everything that's around her. And, you know, we see shots of people drinking, people eating, intermingled with, you know, what looks like walkers eating something, sort of tearing stuff apart. And a lady in the crowd offers to cook Sasha her favorite meal, but says she's worried that she'll make something Sasha hates. And at this point, Sasha flips out, saying, like, really? That's what you worry about? Of all the stuff that's going on, you're worried about that? Yep. That's PTSD, for sure. You know, flashbacks and uh, hypersensitivity, and yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, it's not... I mean, when you think about it, Sasha has had it rough. Lost her brother, lost her boyfriend, and uh, had to act all those months while pregnant. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Sonequa Martin-Green had a baby recently. Yes. And she was pregnant while filming. Um, we go to a commercial, and when we come back, uh, now it's the next day, I guess, and Sasha is at the gate. Deanna approaches, and Sasha says that Alexandria isn't real. This place is not real, she says. But Deanna, of course, calls bullshit and then lets her out of the gate. Yeah. Carol, Rick, and Daryl in the woods at the White Shack. 
again. And she is showing them the guns that she stole. And now Daryl, of all people, questions, do we really need these? Yeah. Well, because he has a purpose now. He, you know, he has friends. He has, uh, you know, a potential motorcycle. He has a job. Yeah. You know, he might even take a shower. Well, let's not go too far here, but he, you never might. Know. he might take a shower. I mean, what he says is, he says that, you know, they wanted him to try to fit in and he did try and now he's good. <laughs> you know, yep. I don't need guns. Maybe I'm feeling better about this place. So, um, you know, big progression for the Mr. Dixon there. Uh, but Rick, on the other hand, takes a revolver. Rick, well, yeah. Rick may be the police officer, but he wants to have a secret gun in the back of his well, pants. It's your drop gun. All cops, not all cops, I shouldn't say that, but uh, bad cops on TV have a drop gun. Good. You went from all cops <laughs> to bad ones on TV. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Just to clarify. And, and that's called a drop gun because you still have it when you drop your other gun? No, that's the second gun. That's the second gun. That's uh, a drop gun is uh, the one it, when you shoot somebody that doesn't have a gun, you put that gun in their position, their possession in order to make uh, internal affairs think that it's a good shoot. Oh, okay. It's the drop gun. That's really bad. <laughs> yeah. All right. That's why I, I, you know, I backed away from all cops because that's offensive if I say that all cops do that. Yeah, because- Only the bad cops on TV do that. The fact is that- most of them probably really don't do that, right? All right. That's, yeah, the ones in the the second gun in their uh, in their by their boot is their backup, their backup weapon. Got it. Um, a leg holster is there is there a word for that thing like a shin holster or something? Those work. Okay, I assume shin holster. All right. So Rick takes a revolver, and then we cut over and we see Michonne back at home mounting her sword on the wall above the fireplace. She's retiring the sword, Jason. Yes. At least that's what we are meant to believe. Well, that no, that never works out, though. No, I know. I mean, look at any uh, any action movie where you put away a weapon and say, ah, oh, I'm never going to need that again. Man, it's only one week till retirement. <laughs> never you know? say that in an action movie. <laughs> no. Never. Uh, we then go to Rick, Daryl, and Carol. They return through the gates of Alexandria, and they kind of fan out all in three different directions. And we see Jesse walking with Pete. She calls to Rick, holds up her A-stamped hand. Rick does the same by holding his up. Solidarity in the A-stamp. Mm-hmm. And he watches them walk away. And while he does so, puts his hand on his new, you know, back of his pants gun. His new <laughs> drop gun. <laughs> well, it's not a, I, well, I don't know if it's a drop gun or a secondary gun or a backup you know, someplace, it's his, it's his Heidi gun. He always needs a Heidi gun, right? Right, right, right. Um, now, I thought Pete and Jesse looked very happy, very comfortable and happy walking away in this scene. Yep. And uh, I don't know if that seems to get to Rick a little bit. Maybe it does if he's got a thing for Jesse going on. And now the rest of the episode were played out to the Bee Gees. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't remember the name of the song, but the Bee Gees start playing... Rick goes to the wall. He seems to hear something by the wall behind behind his house. And we can see that he's on one side, on the inside of the wall. And there's a walker right there on the outside. Rick puts his hand and kind of his ear to the wall as the Bee Gees play on. And we go to black. The episode's over. Right. And if that zombie keeps whacking on that wall, he's going to make a lot of noise and attract a whole, attract a whole bunch of other zombies. So that's bad. They need somebody patrolling the wall. 
the outside. Yeah, or at least on a lookout for crying out loud. Yeah. So, and there you have it. There is a kind of, in my opinion, an unusual episode of The Walking Dead. Like, who would have thought at any point in the last four and a half seasons that we'd get an episode that is like 50% cocktail party, (laughs) (laughs) you know, of our characters dressed nice, having drinks, having pleasant conversations, kissing each other on the cheek at a cocktail party. You never I never would have thought we'd see that on this show yet. Here it is. With beer. With beer, with whiskey, with food, you know, just with with a with a level of contentment and ease of life that I just never would have imagined we'd seen. Yeah. Um the other thing I thought about this episode is uh well, also uh, with the party, I thought they struck a pretty good balance of sort of awkward and nice at this party because it was it definitely felt a little awkward. You could feel our characters were like, this is weird. We're at a cocktail party. I don't really know what to do here. But at the same time, it was kind of a nice environment and people were trying to be friendly and stuff. And I thought the director and the writing and all that did a good job of making you feel both sides of that. Yeah, absolutely. I thought that was uh, was really well done. I, and throughout the whole episode, I think, uh, you know, that unease of being in, uh, quote unquote, normal, sit, a normal situation. Mm-hmm. And, I, I, you know, I felt that awkwardness. And uh, but I also felt that, uh, uh, you know, in certain points, there was kind of weird normalcy of, uh, you know, drinking and they're having, uh, you know, uh, what do you call that? That little sword where you, that Michonne was the playing with cocktail sword. Cocktail sword. Mm-hmm. See, I'm not a cocktail guy, so I don't know the terms. It's like a swizzle well, stick or a stir stick in some drinks. Oh yeah, I, you could call it a stir stir stick as well, but I, I call it a cocktail sword. Cocktail sword. So you you know you put little tiny onions on it or a maraschino cherry or something, right? Right. Maybe olives, let's say. So uh, you know, there's just that kind of that conversation between. Uh, uh, Michonne and uh, Abraham, you know, that was kind of normalcy. He's a little drunk. He's talking to her saying, you know, you can, you know, just have kind of a weird kind of mid, low to mid drunken conversation with a friend. You know, that's happened many times to many people. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of, uh, I thought it was really nice. It was a really good mix between the awkward and the normal. Yeah. And along those lines too, there was some good kind of character juxtaposition I think in this episode you know we had we had Daryl and Michonne really starting to fit in especially Daryl right Michonne has been fitting in all along uh, to a certain degree but I mean when you think about where Michonne's come from it took her a long time to fit in to the group and become comfortable I mean the the main group back at the prison but here it's happening much quicker but Daryl especially you know he's finally starting to fit in like you said he's got some friends and the symbolism was was great. They, you know, they leave their past and in Michonne's case, especially her weapon behind, you know, she's putting it on the wall saying, I don't need this anymore. I am now a different Michonne. I am here and, uh, you know, our past is behind us. Yep. And hopefully it doesn't catch up with us. <laughs> um, but then on the other hand, we have, you know, juxtaposed with that, we have Rick and Carol who are really, really trying to stay vigilant by stealing guns, getting more weapons, you know, they're walking around with Heidi guns, as, as you call them. And right. um, I thought it was it was really interesting. I mean, you kind of expect certain characters to to try to fit in or be more comfortable fitting in and others not. And I think they've 
turned it on its head a little bit here by having Daryl and Michonne be the ones that are starting to get along and fit in, and Rick and Carol, even though Carol's got a whole on a whole different level, right, with the games she's playing and the the character she's playing. Um, right. Boogeyman. She's boogeyman for sure. She's the yeah. boogeyman. You know, but having Rick and her being the ones, especially Rick maybe, that are staying wary of the whole situation, I think is is really great. They're, you know, they're they're mixing it up a little bit with these characters and 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 making them even more kind of evolved than uh, they have been for four years. Um, now let's talk about the last scene a little bit with Rick at the wall there. What do you think was going on there? What was he doing? Was he what was running through his mind when he was listening to that zombie, other than the Bee Gees? What was listening to his mind as he was listening to that zombie through the wall? I think it was a warning. I think it was uh, him recognizing a threat where nobody else saw it. Yeah. Uh, you know, frankly, or it was, you know, a, a love story where two people uh, long for each other across, you know, on the, other, on the far side of a door. <laughs> right. Put their hands up. It's like when they were quarantined and they put their hands on the windows, right? Yeah, or even when you you know not knowing when somebody storms out, of uh, oh yeah, you know when they storm out during a fight and they both hang out on the on the opposite side of a door, uh, regretting the the love lost, uh, yet unable to do anything about it. That's that's a big time uh, movie trope right there. Yep. Um, I was thinking to myself that you know Rick is standing there thinking, even though this is a steel wall, it's really just a thin layer of metal between me and the dangers of the world outside. Yep. And, you know, he's just reminding himself of that, basically, because as soon as you start to forget that is when your guard gets let down and you're you're in danger again. Absolutely. And speaking of juxtaposition, this is another scene where I thought they did a great job because immediately before Rick does this, we see Jesse and Pete walking all carefree and happy down the sidewalk, right? As if everything is fine, everything is great, we're in love, nothing can... Nothing can hurt us. Nothing can get us, come between us. Yet there is a thin sheet of metal protecting you from the horrors of the outside world. So great symbolism in this one, I thought. Yep, I would agree with that. So I like this episode, um, even though it was like 50% cocktail party. Uh, that's not necessarily a bad thing. And I think they did it quite well. My wife got home from work today. Uh, I picked her up at the train, and on the way home, she said, did you watch the episode? I said, yeah. She said, what happened? She said, nothing. They went to a party. <laughs> <laughs> like, all right. <laughs> she doesn't watch, eh? No, she doesn't. That's too bad. Um, And then I think I have one more point here, and something I realized after this, and this kind of relates to the last few episodes since they've gotten to Alexandria, Yeah. and that's that I've really enjoyed how they've... um in some ways kind of focused on the small details of what's going on in, in Alexandria, like having a party and and uh, stealing guns making and cookies. making cookies and stuff like that. Scaring little kids. Scaring kids. But like, it's, you know, this whole episode was about the characters fitting in and doing so by intermingling at a party and stuff like that. And the struggles that some of them have trying to fit in. And... 
I liked that. It's it's kind of focusing on the smaller details of what's going on, yet at the same time, time is passing. Every episode since they've gotten to Alexandria has taken place over two or three days, yep. which for this show, I mean, good God, having an episode span two or three days is an eternity. You know, <laughs> right. we, we've yep. gone whole seasons in five days before. So I like it. I think they're doing a good job just mixing up the style, mixing up uh, the tone of the show a little bit. And, you know, Breaking Bad was famous for focusing on the little details of the story, I find. Right. And The Walking Dead, I think maybe borrowing something from them a little bit. Not to the same degree as Breaking Bad, but I think maybe they're, 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 they're slowing it down while speeding it up at the same time. Right. And it's good. So I liked it. There you go. Uh, you liked it too. I'm glad to hear that. Yes, I did like the episode. It was it was slower, but uh, I I did enjoy it. Awesome. Well, if you listeners enjoyed it, hated it, let us know. Um, we will of course have our feedback show on Wednesday. So send feedback in. Send us your thoughts on this episode, and uh, we'll get as much of that on the air as we can on Wednesday night. Still coming up on this podcast is of course Holy crap! Did you see that? We'll be doing that right after this short break. Stay with us. Talking Dead is an entirely listener-supported podcast, everybody. If you want to find out how you can help out just a little bit, visit patreon.com slash thetalkingdead, where you can make a small monthly pledge and uh, gain some neat rewards, too, if you so desire, depending on how much you pledge. That's patreon.com slash thetalkingdead to find out how you can help there. Or visit talkingdeadpodcast.com slash Amazon to find links to the Amazon store that works best for you. And by clicking on those, you will be using our Amazon link when you make all your purchases, and uh, you'll take a little bit of money away from Amazon, because they got enough, right? I would hope so. Yeah, so, uh, and, and a tiny bit of that will come to us, and uh, you can feel good about helping us out that way and not costing yourself anything extra. And as I've said before, we have no idea what you buy, so don't worry about that. Just uh, click through our Amazon links when you do all your shopping at Amazon. And uh, it will help a great deal. Big thanks to everyone that listens and everyone that um, supports us in those ways. It makes us feel really happy. Right, Jason? Super happy.
Holy crap. Did you see that? All right, it's time for Holy Crap, Did You See That? And we're going to dive right in. Our first one is a call from regular listener Matt in Delaware. Hey, guys. This is Matt in Delaware. I just had a couple of feedbacks for you. First, my Holy Crap moment is, Holy Crap, did you see Michonne is not wearing her bandana? I, uh, I pointed this out to my friends, and we all kind of had a holy crap moment. I think this is the first time that we've seen her without her headband. Um, I think, first of all, the makeup team did a great job of uh, making it look like it was her real real hair there, and I think it's kind of symbolic, along with her putting her katana up on the wall, is that maybe she's ready to kind of let let down her guard a little bit maybe kind of transition from that survivor to someone who's you know settling down a little bit absolutely and katie in the uk has the same sentiment she says my holy crap did you see that moment was michonne hanging up her sword i thought it was very symbolic because it's like she's letting a huge part of herself and her past go i thought that is really interesting i I did notice that uh, she wasn't wearing her bandana but uh, I didn't catch that it was the first time she wasn't wearing her bandana. Yeah, I, I think so. That's been a part of her wardrobe since we met her all those uh, years ago, or, well, you know, all that time ago. Um, and uh, that's not her real hair, of course. No. If you've ever seen Denai Gurira in real life, she does not have big dreads like that, uh, but it's a great-looking wig. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they do a great job. Uh, thanks, you guys. Alex in Seattle, Washington says, My holy crap, did you see that moment uh, in Forgot, or Forget, was when Aaron shot the zombie in the field and there was blood splatter on the camera. Yeah. <laughs> did you catch that? I did catch that. That was pretty cool. Pretty good. I like uh, I like seeing that kind of stuff, too. It adds a level of realism with blood spraying into your living room. Yep. <laughs> now, if they can just find a way to actually have blood spray out of your TV, we'd all be in, in for a treat. I want one treat. <laughs> That's right. And the second time, not so much. <laughs> yeah. Well, they'd have to put a, you know, a, you'd have to refill the uh, the gore canister on your TV every uh, every week before the show. Oh, I don't know, man. Technology is pretty crazy these days. Maybe that gore canister is refilled remotely somehow. You can't refill gore remotely. Maybe it generates its own gore somehow. You, you can't do that either. Why you can, not? TV can't make stuff to... That'd be like 3D printing gore. Don't say anything bad about my TV. <laughs> Don't tell it what it can't do. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but can you imagine that? Realistic um, gore feedback from your TV. I could do that. I, I might uh, fill a squirt gun with uh, you know, red ketchup. I'm going to hire Jason. Come over to my house. Sit beside me while I'm watching Walking Dead and spray me with ketchup. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. No, for you, Chris, I'd I'd use real gore. I'd go and uh, I'd go to a, an abattoir and get a bunch of pig innards yeah. and uh, get a bucket and uh, we do we I'd go full carry on your ass. Do it right. Do it upright. Eh? That's right. Do it upright. I uh, don't need to hire you to do that. I can just hire my children. They spray gore ah, on me you're half thinking. the time. Yeah. Okay. The next bunch of holy craps here are all kind of the same, but I wanted to read them all because uh, they're fun and there's. A slightly different take on the same thing here, I think. So Katie in Blackwood, New Jersey writes, Carol threatening that child was so messed up, I was horrified. It was worse than seeing that poor horse get devoured. And then Charles in San Francisco, 
holy crap, did you see Carol and the boy? That was the best threatening of a child I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> that was the best one. May have even may have been one of my favorite scenes from the entire ser- entire series because honestly, Carol will do it if that kid tells anyone. That's true. Um, yeah, and then Samantha in Ohio, my holy crap was Carol scaring the kid by telling uh, from telling about seeing her stealing the guns. All that speech needed was her to say something about Sam having to look at the flowers. It was an awesome speech, <laughs> and I'm kind of liking Carol a little more. Right. <laughs> so threaten a child, and people will like you. That's right. Um, another yeah, in one. In theory. In theory, if you're a TV character. Another yeah. one, Tom in Delaware, Ohio. Holy crap, when Carol had her conversation with the little boy in the supply room, I was blown away. She just keeps getting better and better as a character. I was watching the show last night fully reclined, and as her little talk continued, I kept leaning forward. By the time it ended, my feet were on the floor, my elbows on my knees, and I was on the edge of my seat. At that point, my hands went up and I exclaimed to my son, Carol is now, without a doubt, my favorite character on this show. She is... uh... Very interesting as far as a character goes. And she is just nasty to little kids. Yeah, she is. She's, she does not care. I mean, she... She's a sociopath. She gives zero shits about this child's emotional state. I think she generally gives zero shits about anybody at this point. I don't, I I think at the beginning of the show, she gave a couple, uh, but uh, she lost all the shits that she gave... Uh, long before now. Yeah, maybe. Um, Damien in Virginia says, my holy crap for this week is the fear in Sam's face when Carol has that one-on-one talk with him. And finally, Rich in Edison, New Jersey, holy crap, Carol, holy crap, Carol, holy crap. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. So uh, there you go. That's everyone's take on Carol, and it ranges from um, that was so messed up I was horrified but mostly to Carol. That was the best threatening of a child I've ever heard. It was pretty cool. <laughs> um, all right, Chuck from Planet Earth writes in, Holy crap, did you see the name of the street that Rick walked by at the very end of the episode? I did see that. Do you did you what? see that? Yeah, I did. But what was it? It was Morgan. Morgan Drive or Morgan yeah. Street. Now, here's the funny thing. What's the funny thing? I don't know if it's funny, but it's a thing. When I was talking about the um, street view thing that AMC has on, you can go and street view around of Alexandria. Yep. I, uh, I think it was when I was looking at that. I noticed Morgan Drive in there before, and I thought the same thing. I'm like, huh, that's funny. So when I went to Google Maps and I looked up Sonoy, Georgia on there to look at the set, and I think I mentioned on the air that if you do that, you can see the shadows of the walls from the set. You can actually see the set, which is kind of cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, I saw one of the streets labeled Morgan Drive. It's a real street. It's just a weird coincidence that they're shooting on Morgan Drive. <laughs> cool. Yeah. So I don't think it means anything. It's not really technically an Easter egg because it's actually the name of that street, but it is cool, and it's a funny coincidence. It's very cool. I like it. Um, Jessica in Long Island. Holy crap, did you see that? Daryl eating spaghetti. Reminds me why I only eat certain kinds of pasta when I dine out. Yeah, I don't eat spaghetti in public. Well, just because it's too messy? It, it's too, it's, uh, 
there's too much too much chance for disaster. <laughs> right? You're you're swirling it, and then you got to get it on your fork, and then you got to get it all the way from the plate into your mouth, and you can't uh, you can't hunch over the bowl like you want to because that's impolite. You look like an ape eating with your hands when you do that, and it's just and then you get it's too splattery and uh, you have to wear a bib or else you get splattery crap on your shirt. It's just not a meal that you eat with people that, uh, you know, that aren't in your immediate family that you don't give a shit about what you look like when you eat. (laughs) Right. (laughs) If people could see how I eat when I'm at home, they'd call me a savage. If I had to eat spaghetti in uh, in public, the best way I can think of to eat spaghetti is to take your knife and fork and cut it up into tiny little pieces and then eat the fucker with a spoon. Well, <laughs> I am, I must admit, I am one of the heathens that does kind of fork and knife cut spaghetti when I eat it. Yep. I'm not much of no, a... No, that works. I'm not much of a twirler. I do a little bit, but... Uh, I'm more of a cutter of spaghetti. Oh God, I hate eating spaghetti in public. Even in private, I, you know, I'd rather have fusilli or yeah. uh, bow tie pasta, even though that's mainly for soup. But whatever. S- what? No, you can make bow tie pasta that's not in a soup. Oh really? I thought maybe you just used that for soup. All right. Well, whatever. <laughs> I, I like spaghetti, so I don't eat it out in public much. But my kids do, and you're right. It's it's a disaster waiting to happen. Yeah, you need to you need to have a, a full body bib and pass out bibs to all your friends because you're gonna get some spaghetti sauce on them too. Well, John in Deal UK writes, "Holy crap, Spaghetti Tuesday!" Slurp nom nom nom. <laughs> I'm hungry. I feel like having spaghetti now. Yeah. Um, a lot of people sent in Daryl eating as their holy crap. So thank you to everyone who did that. <laughs> it was one of those moments. Um, Eve in Apex, North Carolina. Holy carp. Did you see how quickly Daryl trusted Aaron? He let him walk behind him, listened when he talked, and didn't tell him to F off once. Love that Daryl has found a friend. That is kind of nice. I mean, he did tell Aaron to shut up, you know, be quiet. You know, mm-hmm. keep up and keep quiet. Yet Aaron talked the whole friggin' time, and Daryl didn't uh, jump down his throat at all or throw any squirrels at him. No, I figured you... we'd get a squirrel hurling at some point, but yeah. we didn't. You're right. I mean, Daryl's he's going easy on this guy because I think he likes him. Yeah, he you can know? take a punch. Daryl respects that. Oh, absolutely, can take a punch and still wanted to be his friend. So, yeah. Uh, Lisa from the only oblong in Illinois. My holy crap moment, aside from me almost dying from that awkward kiss, was the A stamp that Jesse's son gave Rick. Am I crazy, or isn't the same A that showed up on the church after the termites attacked the group? Very much. Which is a good point, because I forgot that the A was written on the church. Now, the A was written on the church by Gareth and the surviving Terminus people, termites. Um, But that A has showed up in a couple places now including the stamp, the church, and the train car. That's true. So My goodness. Is there any connection? I don't think so. No, no, it's just, you no. Know, I think it's in uh, it's in contrast to the W that's, uh, that's coming. You're right. We're all going to be so focused on the A, we're going to forget the W. Yeah. Speaking of W, Jeremy in Waco, Texas, writes, Holy crap, did you guys see that they finally acknowledged the letter W? Carvings on the walkers. This got me so excited. Since Alexandria stamps your hand with the letter A to show you you belong there, do you think there's another group out there sending a warning of an impending attack by carving the letter W into walkers? Hmm. Like W for warning, I guess? W for 
whatever. <laughs> we are so nonchalant. Whatever. Yeah, whatever, losers. <laughs> That's probably it. Uh, Justine in California. Holy crap, did you see that they killed a horse again? I'm still traumatized from them killing a horse in the pilot and was worried for this horse, but I kept watching because I felt certain they wouldn't do that to me again, but they did. What exactly do the creators of this show have against horses? I hope Jason's mom still wasn't watching. Why was my mom still not watching? Well, your mom doesn't watch, and I think maybe, did you say something about her liking horses? or My mom watches. My wife doesn't, but my mom watches the show. Oh, okay. uh, Yeah, and I don't think she has a thing for horses, but she might. She's never talked about it. Okay. Um, I thought for some... I'm with Justine. I thought for some reason your mom didn't watch the show. No, my mom watches the show. We talk about it. She oh. calls me up and asks me questions about the show. What's oh. going on with that uh, that lady with the dreadlocks? Okay. Next time, hold up a voice recorder to the phone and we'll play your mom's questions on the air. I don't think so. You have to tell her we're doing it, but No, do my it. mom would be absolutely horrified and she would never sign a release for that Well, then don't tell her and we'll just do it. What's the worst that could happen? Somebody could tell my mom. <laughs> Everybody, don't tell Jason's mom. <laughs> then I'd be in trouble. Oh, well, we don't want that. No. <laughs> we don't want Jason to get a spanking. Uh, Angie in Birmingham, my holy crap moment was just the way they managed to turn the Bee Gees into something creepy. Hearing Spicks and Specks play over that last scene with a walker at the fence left me feeling cold. Well, there you go. Someone knew the name of the song. I didn't. Yeah. Assuming An- Be- Angie's got it right, but I have no reason to believe she doesn't. I like the Bee Gees. Uh, yeah, you know, they're not terrible. <laughs> they are not terrible. Um, Nial or, or Nail in London, UK. I apologize for not pronouncing that right. Uh, unless I did, then I apologize for nothing. But uh, <laughs> did you notice in the scene where Rick's new lady friend was handing Judith back to Rick, the scene where he kissed her, the Christmas song Away in a Manger was playing in the background? I'm glad somebody brought that up. Could this... Well, let me finish. Could this mean that Judith is the baby Jesus of the zombie apocalypse who has come to save everyone? I noticed that song playing, and I was thinking, that sounds like a Christmas song. Yep. But I don't think it's Christmas near Washington at this time. So (laughs) I'm wondering why that song is playing in the background. I don't understand. If it, it, it could be Christmas somewhere else, but not near Washington. They were at the party, so I thought maybe it was music playing in the background at the party. Like somebody put on music and somebody put on Christmas music. Yeah, that's what I, I that's I think exactly what happened. Um, I just don't understand why you, why, how it can be Christmas near Washington and not somewhere else. Well, winter. I mean, if it was winter, it would be apparent where they were, is I guess what okay. I'm getting at. Oh, okay. There'd be some kind of snow or coldness or everybody wearing sweaters. Right. Because you're right. right. It's much colder in Washington, D.C. than it would be in Atlanta, say. Even though it would be cold in Atlanta, I, I would assume. Right. Anyways, I noticed the song too, but I couldn't place it. I sat there. My wife had gone to bed already, and I sat there humming that thing to myself going, what song is this? And I felt like the lyrics were on the tip of my tongue, but it just didn't come to me. So I'm glad that uh, somebody pointed out that this is actually Way in a Manger. And right. Sir, you have to get to church at Christmas, and then you'd recognize that song like that. Well, I don't go to church ever, I'm afraid, so I probably won't be doing that at Christmas uh, either, but... Um, I knew I recognized it. I just couldn't place it, which bothered me. I mean, as a child, I went. To, my parents took me to church all the time, and 
you know, I know Christmas songs, but it wasn't coming to me last night. Right. But anyways, what does this mean? What is going on? Like, why was a Christmas was, song being played at this party? That was weird. And I don't understand. No, I don't think Judas is the baby Jesus uh, <laughs> because we can pinpoint father and mother and they're neither of them are God. Uh, so, and she wasn't, she was born in a prison. I guess that's kind of like a manger. Uh, I'm not really sure. I don't, I really don't understand the significance of that music. I don't think, uh, you know, Judas is the baby Jesus. I'm not sure. Maybe somebody put it on in the background as a joke. Maybe I have no idea. I have no idea. I want speculation on this. I don't, I agree. I don't think it has anything to do with Judith. I don't think that it is Christmas time at, uh, you know, at this point in the show. And all I can think of is maybe they just don't have that much music here. And that was like the only, you know, they got five CDs. One of them is a Christmas. Maybe two of them are Christmas CDs. Come on, it's 2011. Everybody has music. 2011? Yeah, but they don't have, they don't have, no, they might not. I don't know. Come on, they got a whole community out there. Each of those communities, uh, even all the kids said that they go up to to the attic to listen to music. There's music. They don't have to resort to away in a manger. Okay, you're right. The kids have music. They go to listen to CDs. That's a good point. So they set up the fact that they have music. So yep. what's the deal? I mean, I mean, I don't, may, I don't know. Maybe Deanna or somebody there just really, really enjoys Christmas music. There are stores. There are Christmas stores constantly, you know, all year round that play Christmas music. So maybe someone just likes it. Maybe. But I think it's one of those details that seems like it's kind of unimportant or nitpicky, but it was there for a reason, and we just don't know what it is yet. I sure don't. And I don't think it's bad. Like, nitpicking is usually pulling out bad things. I think this is just interesting. I want, like you said, I want people to speculate on what's with the music and let us know. Right. All right, finally, Chris in the UK writes, just finished watching Forget, and I've got one big holy crap moment. Rick is becoming Shane. In fact, isn't Rick worse than Shane? At least Shane thought the guy was dead before he moved in on his wife. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That's true. I mean, Rick is at the same party with the guys, uh, with her husband, and doesn't really stop him. So, yeah. Uh, but as you said, we'll probably find out next episode what happens between these three. Yep. All right. Um, I think I said earlier, we got a ton of holy craps and emails already so far about this episode. So I apologize if I didn't get through yours. Uh, maybe we'll do a few more on Wednesday, but we'll definitely do feedback, of course, then too. But thanks to everyone for writing in and calling in. And uh, that's going to do it for this episode. So this was one of the more unique episodes of The Walking Dead, but it worked for me. I liked it a lot. And I have been pretty happy with the second half of season five so far. So far, yeah. No, it's been great. You know, we've got unique, different kinds of episodes, and I think that's working really well for the show. So, all right. um, Let's see. If you want to give us a call or get in touch with us before the next episode to send in your feedback, you can phone the toll-free zombie line at 1-844-483-9662, or you can go to our website and click on Send Voicemail, where you can just record yourself right into your computer, and it'll be sent straight to us um you can also find us on twitter at talking dead or on facebook at facebook.com slash the talking dead or you can send email to talking dead podcast at gmail.com 
please, please, please keep voting for us in the podcast awards. One more time, podcastawards.com. Click the Talking Dead in the entertainment category. And then when you submit your name and email at the bottom, you will get an email that you need to click through to confirm your vote. So uh, thank you so much to everyone who's been doing that. And please remember, you can do that once a day. So keep the votes coming. And uh, who knows, maybe we'll just win this thing. Or if not, it'll be fun to vote anyway. <laughs> it is fun to vote. Yep. I do enjoy it. Just thinking, you you know, just because you know you're, you're making a difference and you're helping out two schlubs on the internet who... Uh, who just like to sit here and talk to each other. You know, voting uh, every day is like the essence of the internet. You enter in your name and your email address, and you get to click a submit button, and then you get a confirmation email where you have to verify something. That's the essence of the internet right there. If you boil the whole thing down to its component parts, that's it. Right. Right? That's, that's, what, it's, that's what it's built off of right there. Yeah, and so far I haven't received any spam email related directly to this website. No. That I know of. That's good. So they're not going to spam you, but you can vote, and uh, Jason will be very happy, as will I. Yes. Uh, okay, we'll be back on Wednesday with our feedback show. Send it all into you know, all that stuff I just mentioned, and uh, that's going to do it. So until next time, my name is Chris. My name is Jason. Thanks for listening and voting. Bye.